The date was November 19, 2004. I had just turned 18 and the Pistons were the NBA's defending champions. The Pacers had come to town for what was a normal early season game in November, but was also an important game between two Eastern Conference rivals that had championship aspirations. The Pacers controlled the game. They looked to be a team that was going to give the Pistons a lot of trouble as they cruised to the finale with a 97-82 lead. Aside from this game being between two of the top Eastern Conference teams, this was also a matchup between two of the league's top defenders in Ben Wallace and Ron Artest. With 45.9 seconds left on the clock, these two players would clash. Artest fouled Wallace as he went to the basket. Wallace would retaliate with a shove. This seemed like your average NBA scrape, the kind of thing that happens all the time. We're used to seeing the occasional shoving match in Detroit. Cooler heads almost always prevail in the end, but not this time. This time, something truly wild and unprecedented would happen. Past the pace of bench to go. Now Artest has jumped over the scorer's table and is trying to get down to the bench. Artest is in the stands. Oh, this is awful. Fans are getting involved. Steven Jackson's in the fans. Rasheed Wallace going into the stands. The security trying to somehow restore. I'm Mike Payton. With me, as always, is Keith Black Trudeau. And this is the Malice at the Palace episode of Bad Boys and Beyond. You remember the Malice at the Palace? I, I wish, honestly, as a historian, I I try to remember everything. Um, I wish I could tell you that I'd forgotten all about this, but as, as someone that was watching it uh, live on TV, that's this is not the kind of thing you really ever forget, especially if you're a, a fan of the sport. This is just a seminal moment in the history of the NBA, really that kind of changed the course of uh, NBA history, really. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's something that you don't ever forget. Uh, I, I remember watching it live. Uh, I remember this being the days before YouTube and, like, having to search out clips so I could, like, basically see it again. Like, I couldn't believe what I had just seen. And then, and then you saw alternate camera angles coming out, and then you saw more stuff, and then, it like, it was just insane. Um, but yes, I'm, 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 I still, I'm excited to, to cover this today. And I think there's a lot we could talk about, uh, and, and I'm looking forward to getting into it. Um, but first Keith, I want you to kind of set the table here and kind of tell me, tell us, tell everyone like, uh, the lead up to this game, where were these two teams coming into this game? Uh, and, and kind of, what did this matter or what did this all mean? Yeah, the, the genesis of this entire ugly uh, event had been really brewing for years. It wasn't just something that happened that year. It, this really started in late season 2002. <clears throat> to set the table, the, the Indiana Pacers, after deciding to Im, uh, implode their 2000 uh, finals champ or to their, their Eastern conference finals team that finally made it to the finals. The only one that's ever happened in 2000, they did that team was aging. So they decided to scrap everything, trade everyone, uh, let everyone go except for Reggie Miller and try to rebuild one last team around Reggie Miller on the fly, on the fly. And they brought in so much young talent. It was really impressive. The job that they did uh, in a short amount of time, they, they brought in three players that were drafted out of high school. Um, Al Harrington, Jermaine O'Neal, uh, and uh, Jonathan Bender. They brought in uh, Jamal Tinsley as a draft pick. They brought in, uh, they traded Jalen Rose to Chicago in part to get back Ron Artest, uh, who was really the, the star of the story. And everyone kind of predicted that this Indiana Pacers team would be they would be right back at it in a couple of years that, that they would be the next uh, big thing in the East to take over uh, from the Sixers and uh, setting the stage in 2002, that didn't really happen. The problem is with super young teams is they don't always develop at the rate that you expect them to. Uh, the Pacers, despite all this young talent were struggling uh, relative to their expectations. They're about a 500 team. And meanwhile, the Detroit Pistons who at the same time that the Pacers rebuild, uh, they rebuilt also because the Grant Hill had left the team. And in, instead of bringing in youth, they brought in veterans, uh, uh, un, really disrespected veterans from around the league. And they bounced back up a lot faster than Indiana did. They The, the Pistons were 
10 games above Indiana in the standings uh, relative uh, to that game. And the Pistons went into Indiana uh, that night. I want to say it was about 10 games left into the season, and they just kicked their ass. It, it was it, it was an absolute embarrassment. Um, the They were just a more cohesive, uh, uh, better offensive team, better defensive team. And they were – it got to the point where they were up 20 in the fourth quarter, and Corliss Williamson takes this opportunity – uh, who was the Pistons sixth man, six man of the year that season. He takes this opportunity to just clown Indiana. He scores, I think, 16 points in the fourth quarter, uh, hammers down a vicious dunk in Jermaine O'Neal's face, and he's talking the entire time. And th this was really the point where these two teams started to dis dislike each other because uh, as he was winding up to do it again with about a minute left, uh, Jermaine O'Neal comes out of nowhere and clobbers him, just body slams him in the air. And then Corliss Williamson... Uh, responds by beating uh, Jermaine O'Neal with the ball. And then Jermaine O'Neal loses his cool, starts flailing. I can't even call them punches. He starts flailing his arms around like they're punches. Uh, but he's being held back for most of this. Uh, Corliss Williamson, who is not a guy you ever want to mess with, is just kind of standing there. He's not budging. He's not retreating. He's just kind of there. And Jermaine O'Neal comes off this whole time like a childish, you know, hold me back guy. Like he's yelling and screaming and throwing his arms. But in reality, he knows that he's going to get carried to the locker room. And that was really the first uh, incident between these two teams uh, that they really started to dislike each other. Now, a couple seasons later, that, that young talent that Indiana has finally starts to come to fruition. They they play out of their minds uh, under uh Rick Carlisle, uh, their new coach, and they run, they have the best record in the league that season, uh, 2003, 2004. And they dominated the Pistons for the first three games of that season. And what happened was the Pistons, once again, um, they, they usurped Indiana at the trade deadline. They got Rasheed Wallace, uh, who changed everything uh, for both those teams. And that fourth game of the season, the Pistons dominated Indiana, and then they met in the conference finals. Both teams a little banged up, I know, but it was clear that the Pistons were probably the, the superior team. If they played that series six times, Pistons probably went four of them. And the Pistons uh, take out Indiana during their dream season. They go on to win the championship. And the, the Pacers really uh, – they're, they're forced to wait until next year, but that's, again, they're a very young team, so that's fine. They have time. So, and now we're going to set the stage for the season that this game takes place in. It's early November. Uh, the Indiana Pacers uh, had, had just acquired Steven Jackson, who was a very underrated player, won a championship uh, with the Spurs a couple of years before. Uh, and they, man, they, they looked ready, like, I don't want to say he was there with Sheet Wallace, but he, he was kind of their final piece to the puzzle. Uh, because, and I, this was my first season having NBA League Pass, by the way, as, as a 20-year-old. Uh, I, I I fully love League Pass to this day, but I, at that point, the Pacers were the team I was most interested in. So I had watched all of their games uh, prior to this one, and they looked to me like the best team in the league. Uh, the game, the games that they lost were almost by accident because they, anytime they wanted to, they dominated and there was nothing anyone else could do about it. Pistons, meanwhile, uh, they had the finals. They had the very short off season. Uh, they came into this game kind of fat and happy. Uh, not that they were satisfied with one title, but it was clearly not the same intensity level that they had the year before. They were about a 500 team coming into this game. Uh, Rasheed Wallace was, you know, visibly kind of, he didn't, I'll put it this way. He didn't do any conditioning over the summer. He partied. And that, I, I think that was the mentality of a lot of those, uh, guys, maybe not Ben Wallace, but maybe the rest of them. It was, well, they did what you see veteran teams do is that they start the season slow because they know they're going to build themselves up over the season, pick up momentum. <laughs> and then they plan on peaking in June. They don't plan on peaking in November. The Pacers were already peaking. They were ready to go. And you could tell everyone on that team from the head coach down to the 12th man had this game circled because they just pummeled the Pistons in their own building on national TV all night long. Good stuff. Uh, that, that, uh, and that brings us to this moment with 45.9 seconds left on the clock. Uh, 
Ben is headed to the to the rim, and what happens there is kind of. Um, I guess it's a it, it it doesn't look like that bad of a foul on TV, but Ben according uh, according to Ben, Ron Artest slaps him on the back of the head as he's as he's heading to the rim, um, and you know that brings us to the foul. You know what what are your immediate thoughts on that, Keith? Do you, do you I don't really see the slap when I when I go back and look at it, but according to Ben Wallace, Ron Artest slaps him on the back of the head. I, I don't either, but, but to me, this this game kind of stemmed from this was almost uh, game six point five of the Eastern Conference Finals. I, I don't know if the Pistons uh, felt that way going into the game, but the Pacers did, and I think the feeling of being uh, caught unprepared was kind of <laughs> embarrassing to this team, and I, certainly to Ben Wallace, who just he. No one was in sync that game defensively, offensively, anything. I, I think a lot of what Ben Wallace felt was a result of frustration from the Pacers dominating that game and kind of rubbing it in their faces, uh, the way the Pistons had rubbed it in their faces in previous years. Like that, that it, it, in, in hindsight, it was just a game in November. We all know teams don't play in November like they play in June. They, they often look completely different. <clears throat> But at that point, it was like they were back in the playoffs again. And like this was the season. <laughs> and I think that's kind of how Ben Wallace reacted, where he kind of interpreted a hard foul. Like he was just waiting for someone to try anything because he was so frustrated. He was ready to fight. Well, yeah, obviously, you know, and he turns around and he pushes Ron Artest. And it, it, I guess, you know, normally like this is where it would end, right? And in nor- mm-hmm. any other game, on any other day in any other year, this is where it would end. The guys would come out, they'd break them up. Maybe there'd be some jaw jack and back back and forth, but like that would be it. Um, ben would go to the line. He'd he'd hit his two free throws or miss them or whatever, and then you know the clock would basically run out because it's ninety seven eighty two or it would be ninety seven eighty four eighty three whatever. The game would be over. Uh, but instead. And I and I and I guess to, to Ron Artest, you know, he shouldn't have. He probably, I don't know. It looked bad. He, they bring him to the scorers table and he right. lays down on him. Yep. And I and I, you know, that I I could see. I guess how that would ensnare some Pistons fans because it looks it looks extra cocky. And you kind of brought up the point, like the Pacers. This is their okay. We're going to show you game, like yeah. the, you know, and and. Hey man, like in that moment when you're when emotions are high and you're feeling a little cocky, I could see where you would might you might think it would be funny to lay on the scorer's table. What are your and, thoughts there? And if it had been anyone else but Ron Artest, I would agree with you. I just Ron, Ron Artest for some context has never been like the most stable individual. Uh I'll I'll put it mildly. Sure. Um and we're we're gonna go into this uh a lot probably before the end of this podcast, but uh, he would say and do things that it it wouldn't be like you couldn't imagine anyone else saying or doing them uh, unironically. Like he, he would, like he would do stuff that wouldn't be like he Paul he pulled Paul Pierce's pants down like in the middle of a playoff game. <laughs> and, and it's, it's it's not like that was a thing that uh. It's not like it was something done intent, like it was a mind game, like Rick Mahorn would do or something. No, it was just he just did it. Like it, it was just a, it was just a spur of the moment thing. And Ron Artest had so many moments like that, where like when he you know delivered a forearm to Rip Hamilton in Game Six of the Conference Finals the year before. Like, like I don't think he intentionally tried to hurt Rip. I don't even know if he thought he was he knew he was going to do it until he actually did. It was Ron, Ron Artest was not a guy that was in the most control of his uh, thoughts or emotions. And that, that's, that'll play into another topic that we have later, but. Yeah. Uh, right. Or I, wrong. I, don't think, I don't think him laying on the scores table was an intentional provocative act. I just thought he did it just, you know, to do it. Right. I guess right or wrong. And, and we'll discuss this. Never mind. You know, I'm going to push it off, but I, okay. Let me just say it. I guess I always kind of thought that Ron Artest was like this generation's Dennis Rodman. Uh, just an eccentric guy who is emotional um, and and really uh, cares about his team and really uh, 
kind of he's he'll let the moment get to him and and dennis did that too a lot and, and but not to this not to this point well obviously you remember dennis kicking the photographer yeah and, and all that dennis stuff. Had his moments too I, I i think that comparison is is not as far off as as you might think it, it's that they both did you know quirky stuff they both did outrageous stuff that was just they did it because it was in their nature to do it not because it was part of any grand scheme or right you know they, they were trying to get attention it was just they were being who they were and that really I, ron artest was was sort of along those lines i think there's differences there but i think par they, they parallel each other pretty well okay and you know the defensive thing certainly is another yeah. thing but uh so then uh a, a fan a pistons fan named john green um and it's weird because I, you know, John Green maybe listens to this show. Who knows? Uh, I don't know where, where John Green is at this point. But John Green uh, is upset at this moment, and he throws a plastic cup uh, with no one really knows what the contents of this cup are at this point. But maybe it's beer. He throws a cup at Ron Artest, and uh, and Ron Artest at this moment like it just it, whatever whatever was going on with ron it clicked like this was it this was this was the match being lit this was like this is where it happened ron heads up into the crowd and he starts going after uh fans um and and to this day i'm not really 100 percent sure if he's going after john green uh or if it's just some random guy uh but no, he just no, he, he go ahead yeah, no, he 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 thought he was going after the guy that threw the cup because he just he immediately took off in that direction. But you know, but the fact is that he didn't. He had the wrong guy. Right. So he he and again he doesn't punch the guy, but he does you know tackle him like hold him down, which has to be terrifying for this guy. Yeah, I've always but, felt that. Yeah, the, the the bottom line is like we can all defend Ron Artest having the, the instant reaction to. Uh, charge after a guy that that threw a drink uh, on him like that that to me that is the most egregious uh thing that happens in this entire sequence was th this jerk throwing the cup i, I i'm not even gonna say him by his name he's just a jerk it's a jerk throwing a that feels felt entitled to throw a cup over a basketball game fine it's not a legal thing but it's still something that you should never ever ever do because some stuff like this will happen like yeah. these are human beings so they're going to react and um, yeah, you can actually see him. He's like holding Ron Artest back from behind from grabbing the guy. The actual guy that threw it is there. He's the guy wearing like the the Pistons. Uh, I don't even know what that is. Like a warm up shirt. Like he he's like throw, he's he's trying to pull Ron Artest off the guy. And yeah, at that point, I think the situation is still salvageable. Uh, but I think what happens next kind of makes it permanent yeah and and we'll get to that in just a second but it is kind of it is weird to me uh and and john green's not the only fan like this you know there's there are a lot of fans who are willing to fight other fans in the parking lot or fight them in the stadium you see these videos they come out like every year yeah uh, somebody's fighting somebody in the stands or in the bathroom or in the parking lot it's like I've this is fandom uh that I've never understood. Like yeah. I I don't I I love my teams and I'm willing to uh I guess get into a verbal spar over them, but that's as far as it would ever go. And and I'm not even 100 percent sure I would do that. Like I've never understood this idea of uh, we need to fight, we need to clash into each other because your team's beating my team or my team's beating your team or or whatever. It's just weird. Like uh, I I don't know. I guess when you go to a public forum, there's always going to be that person who drank too much or, or whatever, um, and is being loud and obnoxious. Um, I tend to just ignore that person, and, but I guess some people can't do that. It's just weird to me. I I don't know. Yeah, and this I think just speaks to I, and I, I'm not going to go into a big psychology. I didn't study psychology. I'm not going to pretend right. to be an expert on this, but I think. Human beings always have like this innate need for tribalism, it seems, where they just need to belong sure. to a group that opposes another group. And I, I think that's great. That's what sports are for. Uh, you, you you have that feeling of belonging to something. But the, the beauty of sports is it doesn't matter. It's 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 not real. 
Like no one's uh, we're not world peace isn't being decided by who wins a basketball game. Um, the economy isn't going to sink or grow. You know, if if Rip Hamilton makes a free throw, it it's all contained. It's it's entertainment, and people lose sight of that. I think sometimes, and they turn it into something that really matters in their lives, and it doesn't. Right. Uh, so you so you have. Yeah, you're supposed to be able to just turn it off and then move on with your life because you've had that experience um, a million times before. Like it's just like the players. Like the players can can battle to the death on the floor, but off the court, there's nothing wrong if they have a drink together afterwards. Like these are professionals doing a job, and when they're off the clock, they can be you know regular human beings. Fans are supposed to be the same way, and the problem is it seems like the players understand that more than the fans do. The fans who aren't being paid to be there. They're the ones paying to be there. And they feel somehow like they can't, sometimes they just can't separate the entertainment from reality. And I, I, like you said, it's still happening, mostly in football games today, but it still happens. And yeah. it, it's ugly and it's it's something I wish there was a solution for and I can't seem to figure one out. Yeah, it's 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 weird. Well, there was that, uh, not to dwell too much into this, but there was that guy uh, at the Suns, uh, uh, yep. What I was it? Nuggets? Yeah. Suns Nuggets game last so, year. Suns and four guy. Suns and four guy. And I felt like we oddly as a country like celebrated the Suns and four guy. Like he was well, he he was really popular for like a week. He was I, on podcast. I think it would justify it though was he was the one that got like sucker punched. Like yeah. he, he didn't start the fight, he just ended it. So I think that kind of gave everyone else permission to to enjoy it. That is I mean, fair. If, he walked, if he had walked up on the guy and beat him up and said sons and four, then I, I think you would have seen an entirely different reaction on social media. No, I can, I guess I could agree with that. Yeah. He was, he was just, he was defending himself. He was defending himself. Yeah. Against yeah. two guys. Right. Um, and he did handle those two guys and it was kind of funny, but uh, <laughs> uh, anyways, um, as you had mentioned earlier, the, the next moment in this, in this brawl is where things really really get crazy and we talked about it off air if there was a fire going on steven jackson came into the stands with a can of gasoline and poured it all over the place steven jackson heads up to um in his own words defend his teammate uh but when you watch it on tv it's hard to see that anything other than steven jackson just wants to be in a fight and he just starts swinging it at everybody um your thoughts on that yeah steven jackson and again from someone that watched the you know the big majority of his playing career uh he is very much likes to fight guy uh i i think he has kind of gotten away with it because he is he he speaks so eloquently uh he he is very personable uh in interviews i think he was able to he's able to talk his way out of that reputation uh, since his playing career ended, uh, I know he does. He has successful um, podcast, talk shows, whatever. Like he, he, he's he's a big media guy now, so I think he has a lot of uh, people shielding him there. But as a player, no, he he was very much. This to me is the second most egregious act that happens that night, aside from jerk guy throwing the cup. Um, if he had just gone in and tried to pull Ron Artest away, that would have been perfectly understand you could call that heroic uh but no he does not uh he he starts going in there looking to do that and then you know, flash forward you know 20 seconds and he's just throwing punches at people like he's he's not trying to help at all he's trying to make it worse like he, he, he and this i just my opinion but he seems just like he wanted to be on espn you know beating up fans like that that was that was it seemed like he thought that would be a cool idea. And I, I think he, get, I, again, I thought he got off extremely light, uh, whereas everyone else that was involved in this on Indiana's side, I thought got punished uh, more harshly than they should have. Yeah. I think that, you know, this, like I just remember watching as, as an 18-year-old and I'm watching Steven Jackson's punches, his form, and he looked like a guy that had thrown a punch before. Yeah. And, and I, I like, it scared me um, just thinking like if anybody uh, basketball player, football player, whatever came into the crowd and was throwing yeah. punches like Steven Jackson was, I'm, I would be like high tailing. I'm not a fighting guy. Like I don't get into fights. That's I, yeah. 
And that's yeah. fine. Well, the NBA has had has had guys that like to fight and guys that had the ability to fight yeah. for decades. I mean, Calvin Murphy, even though he was like five nine, he was a Golden Gloves, you know, boxer. He would grab like seven footers down by the afro and use their heads as a speed bag. Like it, basketball players fighting has been going on since the NBA has ever existed. Uh, but this was the first time, and if players have gone into the stands before to to physically assault fans um vernon maxwell comes to mind i think there was a guy that had insulted his mother somehow i forget the exact story but i know he i remember him going in and just using this guy's face as a speed bag because you know he was protecting his mother but th- this was this particular <laughs> game was just an entirely different uh animal it was it, steven jackson was going in to not fight players or not protect somebody he went in there supposedly as a protector but he ended it as just a combatant like he wanted he wanted to get to to beat some people up that's the that's the best way i can put it and then i i'm not trying to say he's a terrible guy uh but i i thought he was terrible in that moment yeah yeah i don't i don't think that steven jackson is a is a bad guy and and um and i guess i could i mean if he really was up there to defend his teammates i could totally understand that and 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 I'm not saying that he wasn't doing that. Like I'm not trying to uh, demean Stephen Jackson or his character in any way, and I don't think you are either. Uh, but yeah, I mean, right or wrong, like what? He, like he made the situation worse, much worse than it. I mean, it was already really bad, but Stephen Jackson made it way worse. And um, uh, you you talked about players, and just a quick aside: Kermit Washington was another guy who could throw. One hell of a punch, and uh, uh, he punched his he punched his career out of existence. Yeah, punched his career right out of existence. Rudy Tomjanovich's face uh, destroyed it. Um, look up that video if if you're uh, listening to this podcast and you don't know what we're talking about. An unbelievable NBA moment from the seventies. Uh, that is, yeah, really bad stuff. So uh, after that, after Stephen Jackson's up there, now some of the Pistons players are are starting to uh, to come up into the the crowd, and at this point, they're just trying to to uh, to to you know get this thing separated. You can actually see Rick Mahorn at one moment too, like trying to grab somebody, uh, like just to get just to like f- figure this thing out. Jamal Tinsley's trying to to get up into the crowd. And a, and a security guard keeps grabbing him and he, then he pushes the security guard. He's trying to get up there, separate everybody. Uh, Reggie Miller, who's in a suit for this game, is, is injured. Um, he's not even playing. He's, he's trying to separate people. And then all of a sudden fans start coming onto the court. Yep. And this is, and now it's just, it's just getting worse. Like it, it keeps getting worse and worse. And at one point in time, Jermaine O'Neal, um, uh, he handles a fan. I mean, he uh, hits a well, guy. And the thing, the thing is, it looks if you watch the video, it looks like he's executing like a Johnny Cage move from Mortal Kombat. He, yeah, he, he comes in with a flying punch, but it's it's literally like his feet are sliding on the floor. Like it's his feet aren't. He's not running. Like <laughs> you can see, he starts to run, but he he loses his balance and his feet like slip. And it looks like he does like a Johnny Cage like splits punch. <laughs> like you're just late. You're looking for some like, graphical effects, but. That 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 again. This is jerk number two and three. Jerk number two is really lucky that that Jermaine O'Neal slips because if he had hit him with his full force, they would have been picking bits and pieces of that guy off the ground, and yeah. he had every right to do it. Like they, oh, this is the other part of it. Look, players really have no reason to be going into the stands. They have security. They have a million people around them that are supposed to handle that. So they don't have to do that. Uh, likewise, uh, a fan in any sport, uh, the, the playing surface is the player's sanctuary. That is where they do their jobs. That is where they perform. If you go onto the court, especially in an aggressive manner, you deserve whatever is coming to you. I don't care who you are. Uh, that was absolutely despicable. Uh, to go to look to assault uh, like an NBA police. These are basketball players doing their job, right? But everything that happened that had happened prior had had twisted a lot of some of these fans' minds into okay, well they 
went into our area. Well, I guess we're fighting now. Let's go into their area. We have permission to do that. No, you freaking don't. And, and I wish that those guys had gotten serious jail time. It's look at some point there needs to be a message sent because it's still happening at football games where people feel entitled to go onto the field because they don't fear the consequences. Again, I don't want to see, I, I want to see someone get severely injured or hurt or, but something has to like, there has to be a line drawn that makes everybody like terrified of what could happen to them if they enter a playing surface in any sport, because it, it is still happening today. And it's frustrating to see like that should yeah. not be happening. No, I mean, it, there was one, I, I think a couple weeks ago on an NFL game. I can't remember what teams were, it were, uh, it was, but one of the players, um, he went out and hit him and, and, and absolutely, man, you're you're right. That is their sanctuary. You should, if you're an NBA player, NFL player, whatever, what have you, you should you should feel safe. Uh, yeah. that's your job. You're at work. You should feel safe there. And if somebody comes to uh, whatever harm you, disrupt the game, whatever it may be, you go right ahead. Yeah, I, I feel no I, I, remorse. I would... Yeah, I would not have suspended Jermaine O'Neal a, a single minute for just, again, I don't know the exact details of everything he did that was listed uh, off camera, maybe, I don't know. But for the sheer act of, of punching uh, a guy that was coming into his space looking to assault him, that's self-defense. Uh, I'm sure he took the the suspension simply because, just to get it over with, but I, I could have, I can't imagine that wouldn't have you know, if they had been serious about it and gone to court, I, I can't imagine they wouldn't have gotten that drop because what is what is he supposed to do in that situation? The security is already is away from him. It's handling other business. Right. So if you're Jermaine O'Neal and some strange uh, guys are walking up, like really, really walking up on you, like they're, they want uh, to hurt you. What are you supposed to do in that situation? Of course, he's supposed to. I mean, you're, you're going to defend yourself. Anybody would. Absolutely. So I. I, I that, that, this is the most egregious um, part of the thing of the results that happened uh, from this. I think it's Jermaine O'Neal getting uh, 15 games. I just because he punches fans on TV is what I'm thinking. Just 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 to discourage players from doing it in the future, I guess. But you know, in reality, he didn't really deserve to be punished like he did. No, I, I guess change the scenario and. Jermaine O'Neal's on the court in that moment, and one of these fans comes up from behind and punches him or kicks him yeah. in the leg or like injures him in some way. Like, you yeah. know, it, it like could have been worse. It could have been so much worse. It could have been so much worse. Than, like, this whole situation, as bad as it was, could have been so much worse if people had had worse intentions than they did. Like, right. in, in the grand scheme of things, the, the worst thing that the fans did was throw drinks on players, which is terrible. I, I'm yeah. not going to say it isn't. It is abusive. It shouldn't happen, and it was embarrassing. I want to make that 100% clear. Oh, absolutely. But I didn't see – yeah. Other than those two guys heading onto the court, which I didn't see any uh, players getting punched at that. Like, I don't rem recall Jermaine O'Neal getting hit. I just remember him hitting the fans. Um, but if he did, like there was no serious injuries that happened to players. There was no, uh, at the very least, everyone from that Pacers team came out of that mess, you know, healthy, uh, very, um, shocked, I'm sure. But at the very least, no one was hurt on that, on that side, because that would have been a, a much uglier, uh, episode than I, I shoot like that. This would have been so much worse that we're talking about right now. And, and it's already really bad. Right. Um, and that running, that running punch, that's a move that I've seen that in an other NBA game. There was a Knicks nuggets fight and I'm pretty sure. I think it was Carmelo Anthony who did the running punch and then ran away thing. Uh, <laughs> I can't really remember. That's the game where I think Isaiah Thomas got fired or something because of that game or got suspended because of that game. It was, do you remember yeah, that fight? Suspended. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> that was uh that was an interesting one. Uh, so then, you know, uh, at this moment, I think is when uh, Mason is getting on the, uh, on the PA system and he's telling people, you know, uh, don't, don't come onto the court. Don't come onto the court. And at this exact moment, 
Uh, Austin Crozier, Pacers forward, young player, stand is just standing there. And I, I, I've always looked at this moment like I wish that I were a sports photographer because I would get a shot yeah, of this, and it right. would be it would be in my portfolio. There's Austin Crozier is standing there, hands on his hips, looking around, assessing like what's going. Like he can't believe he's us in that moment. He's the yeah, fans. He's everyone watching at home. I cannot believe what is happening right now. And it was just one of those moments where it's just human. You're catching a human moment on TV. I get goosebumps. I have goosebumps right now thinking about Austin Crozier. This like uh, as a human moment, just like I cannot believe what is happening, what I am seeing right now. Yeah, um, don't, for, uh, don't for, forget uh, Jamal Tinsley in, in an act of utter panic, grabbing a dustpan and swinging it around like he's, <laughs> he's got a machete. I forgot about that one. <laughs> oh, oh, Jamal. Uh, and then, you know, then they start bringing players to the back um and i before we totally get into that there's a scott there's scott pollard is in a suit um and he's got and he is his sideburns game is just uh he really had those sideburns working when he was with the pacers not so much in his pistons days but those sideburns go back and watch the video i I remember scott pollard very well yeah his his sideburns could have been wearing their own jersey, like they were their own <laughs> identity uh, in that moment. But uh, anyhow, so this is where um, they start bringing Pacers to the back, and and I don't know who it was with Ron Artest, but he's covering his head. It's I would imagine a Pacers uh, assistant coach, or uh, I'm not sure who it was, trainer. I, if it was a big guy it would have been mel daniels okay it's yeah mel daniels i'm thinking because mel daniels former one of the greatest centers that has never played in the that never played in the nba big imposing guy i I know he was a a pacers assistant back then uh so if if it was a guy that looked like a bodyguard then it was was probably mel daniels yeah okay yeah let's say mel daniels he was big he was big almost as big as is ron artest uh or maybe even bigger but he's covering his head and this is where the Pistons fans begin to start just uh, raining down upon Ron Artest with beer uh, cups. And this is yep. this essentially changes sporting events uh, drastically. Now, like they don't serve beer in cups anymore. Yeah. Now it's like you get a you get a bottle. They take your cap from you. Um, you know, for probably another reason. I'm sure people were throwing caps well, at him. Well, they, they take your cap, so if you do decide to throw it, you're not you, – you can't throw a projectile. You're just essentially throwing a, an open bottle with liquid in it. Like, it's not going to go as fast or as hard or in the direction you want it to. Right. It's a lot that's easier true. to throw a bottle with it that's, that's closed. Yep, I agree. Um, this was a horrible moment. This is where, like, I remember watching it thinking, like, oh, man, like, this this can't be who we are as fans, as Detroit fans. like. Even at that, even at 18, I like, I knew this is wrong. Like we should not, this is like, everyone's going to look at us like, uh, and just be like, oh, there's Detroit. You know, that's who they are. They're horrible fans. And, uh, and you know, look, we're, we're a, we're a city that loves the bad boys. And we love when the Darren McCarty would get into a fight with somebody and like, and that's cool to, um, to sort of be a fan of the, we we don't wear a white hat and that's cool like it yeah. there's that's okay but like what we shouldn't be getting involved in the play you know we shouldn't exactly. be getting involved in the story we don't we don't need to wear the black hat too you know um and it just yeah it was just a really really bad moment i think and it looked really embarrassing for for us as a as a fan group um, yeah i, I was wish we hadn't done that. yeah i and i I can't imagine a lower point in my life as a uh, someone that grew up as, as a Pistons fan and still is. Uh, there will never probably be a lower moment in my life as a fan than, than watching that all unfold. It was just, I wanted, I was not there. I was watching on TV and I was like trying to hide my face. Like I didn't want to look at myself at that point. It was, and again, it's, it's not like those people were a reflection in any way of who I was. It was just, those were 
again goes back to tribalism you know that was my that, that was my tribe you know per se those were you know my fellow pistons fans like i was supposed to be one of them and at that point i'm like i don't want to be anywhere near these people these that like how, how could they possibly uh you know delude themselves into thinking that this was okay you know because they lost a basketball game it, it wasn't and yeah it if all of those things hadn't happened before, you know, if, if Ron Artest doesn't lay down on the scores table, if some jerk doesn't throw a bottle on him, if, if Ben Wallace doesn't decide to lose his cool over what was to me a flagrant foul, but not it, an out of the ordinary flagrant foul. Like if, if those things don't happen, then, you know, the game ends and then I'm guessing both teams leave and no one throws anything. Uh, but it, it, it got to a point like all of these, the, this perfect storm had to come together to change the mentality of all the fans that were left in that building that were already pissed off. And to think that, you know, they were now part of the show because a player entered their space and it was, yeah, it was, God, it was so damn embarrassing. Yeah. And the, the thing of it is, um, uh, full disclosure, I, I, I have a very weird history with Pacers fans uh, as a much younger person, I had ingratiated myself into a Pacers community. Uh, it's still around. It's called Pacers Digest. Uh, not as active anymore, but the fact that it's still around at all for being a fan devoted message board is still pretty cool. And uh, I, I've been there for close to 20 years. And that was, I originally uh, went there as a way to get a different perspective uh, because we didn't have social media back then still in 2000, what, 2004 it was. It, we, we didn't have social media. It was, we had message boards. That's that's what we had. And it was really difficult uh, to get perspectives from anyone else because these were all fan-devoted message boards. Everyone there was a fan of the same team. So you all, all you got the same perspective, really similar opinions on everything. I wanted to broaden my horizon so for whatever reason, I chose Indiana as as, the, as my kind of B team that I was going to get their perspectives and help them see my team through their eyes. And at, at that, as that was going, I had been there for a couple of years at that point. And I'm going to Pacers Digest. And I, I realized it, it made me feel so much worse, actually, because I realized from their perspective, like the people that were going to get in trouble for this, we're going to on on the Pistons side. We're going to be Ben Wallace, uh, whatever fans uh, that got involved, which nobody cares. They didn't affect the basketball game. Uh, they could have banned fit, uh, five thousand or you know five fans or five thousand or fifty thousand fans for life. It wouldn't have affected how the game was going to play out. So no one cares. Uh, but from a basketball standpoint, Ben Wallace was going to get uh, hammered and. On the Indiana Pacers side, Ron Artest, Jermaine O'Neal, and Steven Jackson, the three best players on what looked like the, th the best team in the league at that point, they were all going to get hammered worse. And, and just to watch, and, and again, the Indiana Pacers fans, this is a community that's never won a championship in the NBA. They're, they're still holding on to their 70s ABA championships, which they should, they should be very proud of. But the bottom line is none of them, most of them are not old enough to remember it at this point. So they, they, this was the this was their chance, they thought, uh, the, like possibly their best team that they've ever fielded in the NBA. And it's all it's only two weeks into November and they were watching their season just crash down around them. And it was I felt so bad for them. Uh, it was it was as if Jermaine O'Neal, Ron Artest and uh, Stephen Jackson had all like torn their ACLs in the same game. Like it had that same effect, like the basketball gods just took our season, our, our championship team away that we've been waiting our whole lives for. And it was just taken away from us in November. And I, that, that has always colored my opinion of the brawl because as crappy as the, the fans acted. And I think Ben Wallace who probably regrets his actions at this point, as bad as it looked as it was for Detroit, it was just a look. Uh, the Indiana side had suffered on the basketball court. Uh, and that, for many fan, they would tell you, I would have much rather uh, taken a black eye in the media than taking than have my team just get dismembered in front of me. 
I think there's an interesting uh, discussion to to have here. This, um, how do you think that that uh, you mentioned social media not being around then? How do you think that social media? How do you think this whole thing goes down if social media exists now? Because I I think that with Twitter and and all that stuff um, and the things that we're both on, we are constantly uh, in the in in the crosshairs of a barrage of, of like, of moments like this, I think we're a little bit more desensitized, desensitized as a, as a, as a society that I almost feel like if this happens today, Ron Artest doesn't get suspended for the entire season um, or Jermaine O'Neal doesn't get suspended at all. Or like, I, I just wonder um, it wouldn't, it almost feels like it, this moment is amplified because it wasn't there was no social media and because all you saw was like the media talking heads and uh sports center and all that stuff this is that's where you saw this moment like it's still bad it's still a bad moment and i think that there would be some suspensions laid out but i wonder if social media would the advent of social media and the desensi- uh the <laughs> i don't think that's a word um uh, of america uh i wonder if if that sort of lessens the blow of of this whole situation um and if it's just one of those things where uh it's just another thing that happens and everybody just forgets about it a week later yeah this is a weird um i know you know you like to do your your question at the end of every player uh episode you know could he play today well like could the brawl happen today um, and this, this is a weird thing. It may have, but it would have taken on a completely different form because how many of those people that were throwing punches or, or throwing drinks, how many of those people would have been pulling out their cell phones instead to take videos of this? Yeah. Like, we, point. yes, we, we've turned into a, as fans, we've turned into a, a society that's t- kind of focused on non-intervention. We want to film something terrible happening instead of trying to stop it. But in doing so, we're also not participating in it. Uh, so it, yes, and you can still see that, you know, fights still happen, but they're generally kind of like it's one person or two people. I'm not seeing massive brawls happen. It's usually contained because, you know, the people that with more common sense than the people involved don't want to get beyond film assaulting somebody. And Anytime, especially if you're at a sporting event when there's 20,000 or 50,000 people, you know, most of them with video phones, they're, they're smart enough to know if I get involved in this, I could catch an assault charge at some point. Uh, so, yeah, this could have happened, uh, but I don't think you would have had nearly as many people in the stands uh, that wanted that would have wanted to be on camera. You know, technically it would have been assault, you know, throwing a, a drink on a player. So... And also, yeah, I think you have a point on the suspensions. I, I think, uh, especially the way uh, social media has tilted public perception these days, there would have been suspensions. I don't think. I, I I think in this situation, you would have had Stephen Jackson would have gotten worse. I think Ron Artest would have gotten less. I think Jermaine O'Neal would have gotten less. I think maybe Ben Wallace would have gotten worse. I'm not 100 percent sure on his situation, but there would 100 percent have been more of an emphasis on. How do we punish the the Pistons fans for you know this egregious thing? Because they'll they'll do that in, in soccer, in European soccer. They'll make you play a home game in front of no fans. They'll revoke all tickets mm. uh, if fans pr- in large prove that they cannot behave themselves. Yeah, it's just a, it's it. You you brought up a great point, and we would have like a million different angles of this whole situation yeah. because everybody would have their cell phone out. And I think you're right. I think a lot of people would have backed up just so they could get footage because that almost proves that you were part of the moment, like you were there. Yeah. Um, and and having that is uh, in in today's world is um, it's almost like a currency uh, because you you know you're going to get likes and retweets out of that rather than um, a, a a record or a bruise or something. So yeah, that's an interesting interesting way to look at it. Um, so in the aftermath of all this, just to lay it out, so uh, Ron Artest, as we had mentioned, he gets sus- suspended the remainder of the season uh, and yeah. gets a, a hefty 
uh, almost $5 million fine. Steven Jackson gets 30 games, um, which doesn't seem like enough, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, that's what it is. Uh, Jermaine O'Neal gets 25 games, then it gets reduced uh, to 15 on an appeal. Ben Wallace gets six games. Uh, Anthony Johnson, who I don't even remember that player. I, I think he or... was one. I think he also went into the stands briefly. Did he? Okay, he gets I, five. I think that's games. why he got the six. Uh, yeah, the five. I don't know why Reggie Miller got a game, or Chauncey Billups, or Derek Coleman, or Eldon Campbell. Why did any of these guys get a game suspension? I think because they left the bench during an altercation. Okay. I think that was, originally, I think that was the the rationale behind that one. And then, uh, you know, we won't get into all the legal charges of all the different people, but but John Green uh, gets sentenced to 30 days in prison. Apparently, he kind of had a record and everything before yeah. this, um, and he gets banned for life from all Pistons games, which a, a ban uh, for life. I've never really understood how that works. Uh, how does how does this the arena know that John Green's there? Like, do they have John Green pictures up at every entrance, and they show new employees who? Are I'm sure they have some kind of like a video file where you can you you can scroll through the through the people that aren't supposed to be there. I mean, ho- hopefully, it's not like I don't know how big that list would be. I don't know how many fans have ever been banned for life, but it's weird. What if I'm, John... I, I'm assuming that there's some at least some effort paid to making sure they don't come back because God forbid they come back and there's a photo there and then that makes the organization look really bad. So I, I, I'm sure that they actually do care that those people don't come back. I'm just wondering, like you, how how they how does, enforce it. Yeah. How does that work? Because, you, you know, you and I have both been to sporting events. and I'm sure a lot of people who listen to this have been to sporting events. Uh, there's usually, you know, you walk through, uh, nobody checks my ID at any point. I take everything out of my pocket. I go through the metal detector. I, I show them my, uh, ticket, which nowadays is just a QR code on my phone. Um, and then I walk right in. So I, I just, I find it hard to believe that John Green hasn't been to a Pistons game since, uh, I I'm sure there, I don't know John Green, but if you're out there, John, go ahead and tell us you've been to a game. You've been to a few games, haven't you? Uh, <laughs> there's just I just don't see how they enforce it but um, you know the interesting part of this is that John Green and, and Ron Artest who's now met a world peace have uh, apparently been in contact with each other and are kind of I would say friends I don't know how close they are but according to them they're they're friendly now uh, John Green says that at the time in his life he was um he was he was maybe having some addiction issues and uh you know and and you know he solved those now and, and according to according to him um which it, is great it's an explanation it's not an excuse just to, right. for people to see we're not excusing what he did no no I, and um you know and that kind of brings me to the next part is is you know i'm 37 years old now um when this happened i mentioned at the top of the show i was 18 uh, I think with an, a not fully formed uh, and functioning brain as a child, uh, which I still very much was, even though the law, the, the, the world will tell you you're 18, you're a man now. You, I was not um, no, in the way no, that no, I, yes. I way that I felt about things then um, I would I as a 37 year old man. Now I laugh and uh, at myself and I thought I had it all figured out. Um <clears throat> I was mad at Ron Artest and I was mad at the Pacers and I felt there was some justification for uh, the things that had happened to them. And, and look like no way, no, no matter how you spin it, this was bad. What they did was wrong. Pistons players, Pistons fans, the Pacers players, anybody who, who took part in this was, was wrong. Um, but now I, I sort of, uh, I, like I've totally forgiven Ron Artest and I actually like Ron or Meta World Peace a lot now. Um, and I think I see him as an advocate for, for the mental health, uh, uh, society or whatever you would call it in the world. I'm someone who, uh, who deals with some mental health things, uh, myself. Um, so I've sort of been able to, uh, with a little bit of empathy, put myself in his situation where, I'm a young kid and I've got all the pressure in the world on me at this moment. And I'm expected to help lead this team to a championship 
and my emotions are high and all these things are happening. And then somebody throws beer at me. I would imagine that it's super easy to, to get to red at that point. Like it's super easy. You know, I mean, like I said, I'm not a fighter, but I've been in a fight before and I could, and I've been mad and I've been into a point where I've wanted to strike somebody. And I understand how you can get to that point. It like, uh, and I, and I just can't fault Ron for what he did anymore. Like I, I can't be, you know, that Netflix documentary came out recently. I haven't watched it yet, but a lot of people were mad because it seemed like it was mostly it, taken. Jermaine O'Neal produced it. So of course it's being told from their perspective and from no, their perspective, they didn't even, yeah, I don't even know if they attempted to get uh, any Detroit players on board or whatever, but like it was an entirely Indiana focused and it look on one on one hand, yes, that is, it's going to produce a very biased documentary. It, it, you can't help but right. because you're, you're only getting their perspective. Uh, but on, on the other hand, they're also the ones that suffered from it. Um, and the, wor- the worst thing that happened to the Pistons, and I want to get into this real quick, the, the fallout from the brawl is the Indiana Pacers, you know, got 95% of the, the punishment. The, the, the Pistons, the worst thing that happened to them was Ben Wallace missing the next six games. You know, the Pistons won three of them. Uh, so they didn't necessarily lose a ton of ground there. Uh, like you said, uh, Jermaine O'Neal, uh, 25 games. He, uh, Steven Jackson, 15. Ron Artest missed the season. So for the next 15 games, the Pacers had to play out their three best players. And I, I want to say they went five and five and 10 in that stretch. They went from being one of the top records to you know, being a 500 team. And I, I remember the, the somber, it was one of the weirdest Christmas games ever. Um, Jermaine O'Neal, actually, people forget, Jermaine O'Neal came back. The first day off of his suspension was on Christmas Day against the Pistons. And it was just such a, a it was so weird because you can tell the Pacers fans wanted to be super hostile uh, because the Pistons had essentially ruined their season. But it was also Christmas. So, like, it was this weird, like, they want to be mean, but they can't because it's on national TV and it's Christmas Day and they have other things going on in their lives, obviously. So it it was just a, it was one of the most, probably the most awkward Christmas game I've ever seen in my life. And and the Pistons wound up winning that game. And the season finishes and the Pacers look like they would win 65 games. They wind up winning 44. They're the sixth seed in the East. The Pistons, meanwhile... They, the, the brawl is long in their rearview mirror. They won 54. They're the two seed in the East. Uh, and they go to the finals that season, you know, dumping the Pacers off in the second round along the way. It was just, and I, I never want to say that I regretted watching the Pistons make that finals run, but the whole time I'm thinking like, how right is this? Like in the grand scheme of things that the, the Pacers, and I'm not saying, they wouldn't have done crazy stuff that would have hurt their season eventually at the end anyway, but that the, the Pacers got decimated by this whole incident uh, that was, you know, instigated by a piston and it was furthered by a whole bunch of piston fans, but because of the dynamics and how it worked out, you know, they, they're the ones that got the, the they got the lion's share of the punishment, so to speak. And it go you go into the next season, and the follow for the, for Indiana doesn't even happen. Like it was, this was just like some cruel cosmic joke on the Pacers fans. Because again, I'm I'm at Pacers Digest uh, frequently at that point, like the early 2000s. Like that was like my social media was talking with them. I wasn't really on any Pistons message boards until a little bit later. Like seriously, so uh. The season starts the next season, and the, the Pacers, with Reggie Miller retired, but the Pacers uh, get the rest of their team intact, and they think, okay, this is, we've waited a year, this is going to be it. And what happens, a week into the friggin' season, Ron Artest asks the Pacers for a week off to promote his rap album. Like, you you could not have scripted this any, like, it was almost like a Monty Python parody, where Ron Artest just would not allow <laughs> the Pacers to... And and then when they denied it, and then a week uh, a week after that or two weeks after that, I forget, he demands a trade uh, out of Indiana. I don't know if that was the trigger for it. I'm assuming it was, but he like 
he, he demands a trade um, and it starts leaking out through the media. And so Ron Artest uh, announces he's going to go on, <laughs> on Indiana's like ABC affiliate or NBA, I forget one of their, their local news channel. Like he literally drives over there and, and all these Pacer fans that I'm looking at are thinking, okay, he's going to clear this up. This was just a big misunderstanding. No, he goes on there. He goes on their local news and publicly to their face that says, I want to be out of here. Like the, the amount of crap that they were put through for this guy and they stood behind him the whole time. And again, Ron Artest, I don't think is a bad guy. I think he was just very unstable and he honestly thought that what he was doing wasn't harming anybody. So in addition to that, that whatever, 60 some games he missed uh, the previous season, I forget how long the rest of the season was, but it was a lot. Uh, the Pacers essentially suspend him for 24 games until they can find a trade partner. Like, uh, oh, yeah, wow. I, yeah, you're <laughs> <laughs> my, Mike is face palming right now for for people listening. Um, but yeah, that like you said, that that this is a very good discussion about mental health, but it's also Ron, Ron Artest was just the main character of this story, and uh, um, yeah, and, and the, the poor Pacers fans who. Just kept like it was like uh, Lucy and Charlie Brown. Like they kept thinking that like, Ron Artest is going to, uh, or Ron Artest is going to hold the football for him, and then they keep he keep he kept yanking it back at the last second. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, but you know, and uh, I, I guess I feel uh, some some somewhat bad for Pacers fans. I mean, I, they're still the enemy because they're yeah uh, a, a division rival. Uh, it is kind of weird though that this this never really became this huge like long lasting live rivalry rivalry like the the Red Wings and Avalanche are still like anytime they play like there's there's still a little bit something there you know or like the Lions and Packers or or what have you uh, or even the Lions and Cowboys like there's still something there based off that 2014 incident with the picked up flag and we're not even gonna get into that. Uh, Cause it's still, it's just whatever. Uh, but, but this, this doesn't really happen. There isn't like a, you know, and maybe it's cause the Pacers like old after this essentially. Yeah. Uh, and they never really become a, a great team again. Uh, and, you know, until those Roy Hibbert days. And, but at that point, but at that point, it was like, yeah, that was punishment part two for them. Yeah. But at that point, the Pistons are like a really bad team. So yeah. It, yeah. Uh, so they, I guess they've the, never been very good at the same time for much for any at any other other point other than that that brief span between 2004 and 2005 right like the pistons were there for much longer and they had many more duels with you know say Dwayne wade and lebron james than the pacers who were objectively might have been a better team than any team that they faced featuring wade and james during that era it was just their, their entire um, plan just got blown up in one night. It was it was just a crazy thing where, uh, like, the Pacers were on everybody's radar, and then one bad decision led to 55 other bad decisions, and all of a sudden, you know, they were gone until the Paul George days, you know, 10 years later. It can happen that fast. Uh, well, uh, you know, that's going to do it for the malice at the palace. Uh, this was a certainly a, I really enjoyed this. This was a fun little thing that that we can do, and um, and we'll do more stuff like this down the road where we just kind of concentrate on one story. Um, but before we get out of here, do you want to do a couple minutes on the the beginning of the Pistons season so far? Uh, it, it's only been a, a three games. It, it's a very young team, and I, I want to keep preaching patience with everybody because they looked really bad in all three games. They they won one of them almost by accident. Uh, but I, I, and look, I don't think anyone's feeling too bad right now because the two rookies have played better than I think anyone anticipated. Uh, Jaden Ivey and Jalen Duran, especially Duran being the NBA's youngest player at 18. The fact that he's doing anything positive on an NBA floor should be encouraged people. But I, I don't want people to get their expectations too high because that's the kind of thing that happens. Uh, you know, like Duran's an 18 year old. He's going to do dumb 18 year old stuff this year. He's going to have games where he plays five minutes because he misses five rotations in a row and commits three fouls that are bad. 
it's going to happen. It doesn't mean that they're being held back. It just means they're being managed. So that, that is my only that is my only topic right now. My plea for the rest of the season: enjoy everything that Jade and Ivy and Jalen Duran do this season. Do not see any of their setbacks as some kind of a organizational failure. Please just let this young team be what it is. Don't let you know one loss turn you off for the entire uh, franchise. Or I need Dwayne Casey fired. Just let's let's dial it back and just enjoy it for what it is. They're going to lose more games than they win this year. I can almost promise you that. Just enjoy the good moments and try to brush off the bad ones. It's just, this is growing pains. Yep. And, you know, I, I've been trying to do the same things with Lions fans. Um, we, <laughs> good luck. Uh, well, I think we, and, and I've, I've been in this situation too. And I'm not saying that this is, I'm above anything, but I think we get into this situation where, uh, we trick ourselves into thinking there's a finished product here. And then we get mad when we find out that it's not. And yeah. it's really easy to do that. Uh, yeah. Long, long off season versus short attention span. So people with no product to watch, I think this has happened with both the Lions and the Pistons. They've, they haven't been able to see them play. So they, in their minds, they keep building them up to be, you know, if this goes right, this, if that goes right. No, we're secretly, we could be, you know, like the surprise of the league next season. And they don't realize there's maybe a 5% chance of that actually happening. Like it right. happens, but it's not likely. And you shouldn't be upset when it doesn't happen. Yep. Just uh caution everybody. Just focus on the good things. And and, and that goes for the Lions too. The, the progress uh, of, of individual players uh, is, is certainly, uh, I mean, Jay Ivey looks great. Jalen Duran yeah. looks great. And there's a lot to like about this team going forward. So let's just see where it goes. Hopefully they win tonight. The game's actually starting right now as, uh, as Keith and I are talking. Uh, so we're going to wrap this episode up. Um, we did mention, I mentioned on Twitter on Sunday that we got some cool things coming up and next week is going to be the first one of those cool things. We are going to have our very first guest. We're getting back to the uh, redrafts. We're going to be doing the 1992 NBA redraft. Big, big, big top three in that one. Uh, Christian Leitner, uh, Alonzo Mourning, and of course, Shaquille O'Neal. We're going to be having on uh, Vince Ellis, um, who is actually a content creator for the Pistons now, but you may remember Vince from his days at the uh, uh, the Detroit Free Press covering the Pistons as a beat writer there. Um, absolutely love Vince's work. And I'm super excited to have him on the show. And uh, we'll see you next week with Vince Ellis. <laughs>